This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Well, Gavin, it just wouldn't make any sense in, for anyone in England to ask where the beef is because all they would do is just boil it. Ass. The following podcast contains... This is pure filth. Pornographic filth. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. But you brought me that huge ass buns with that tiny little burger patty. What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 397, all bun, no beef edition of the show. We talk about the ad campaign and the little old lady that stole America's heart, Clara Peller. Stay tuned. What the hell are you thinking podcast is brought to you by Meef, the meat-like substitute. Are you concerned about the planet? Of course you are. You're not a monster. Did you know that meat is killing the planet? Of course you did. But you still love meat. What if we told you there's a better way? Meat, meat. The meat substitute that is almost, but not entirely, unlike meat. Meat is designed by our meat scientists to look a lot like meat if you don't look too close. And meat smells like some kind of meat. Is it beef? Is it pork? Who can tell? All you need to know is it's meat. How does meat taste? It tastes like meat. You really have to try it to understand. So if you're looking to reduce your meat consumption without giving up the pleasures of meat, try Meef, the meat-like substitute. Look for Meef in the bulk dry goods sections of your local grocery store. Meef, it's kind of like meat. It certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. Big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. Like most kids, I adored fast food. You are a fat baby. No. I mean, yes, but that's not... Never mind. Back in the 1970s and early 80s, fast food meant burgers and fries, and for most of America, that meant... Okay, everybody ready to get your picture taken? To celebrate cheeseburger time at McDonald's, Ronald was taking pictures of all his friends. Okay, now smile and say cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Very good. There were other places, of course, but none so prevalent as McDonald's. This is because McDonald's was, uh... You're not in the burger business. You're in the real estate business. We ate a lot of McDonald's because there were a lot of McDonald's. Now, unlike most kids in America, I went through a dramatic period in my life that I like to think of as the uh, the darkest timeline. Where I did not eat McDonald's. Indeed, I barely had any fast food at all. I was forced to eat home-cooked, nutritious food, lovingly prepared by my mother, who was and is a magnificent cook. Or knock off local chain fast food. You poor bastard. The reason for this was simple. My family moved to the ass end of nowhere. First, there was... Guam. Guam, like the country Guam. 
Beautiful island, stunning beaches, amazing people, the experience of a lifetime for a young man such as myself. What it did not have was a McDonald's or a Burger King or Kentucky Fried Chicken or pretty much anything else. I, I, I think there was a Pizza Hut, but it was a long time ago and I could be wrong. It's perfectly logical that Guam would not have a plethora of fast food options in 1983, being in the middle of the fucking ocean at all. But what was less logical was where we went after Guam that was somehow even more remote and bereft of fast food chains. Boise. Oh, if only it had been Boise, they had a McDonald's. Instead, it was Mountain Home, some 50 miles from Boise. Mountain Home had a military base, a truck stop on the interstate, and a burger joint named for the local high school mascot, the Tiger's Den. And it had only one fast food franchise. And it was the only one for 50 miles in any direction. Once we get you, then we got you. Got you coming back for more Taco John's. Don't get me wrong, Taco John's was great. And even today, I would kill to get my hands on potato olays, which admittedly were just tater tots with Mexican seasoning, but somehow the whole was so much more than the sum of its parts. So... Aside from our rare trips into Boise, I didn't have McDonald's or any other fast food from 1982 to 1987. Actually, it was more like 88 since, uh, you know, we weren't eating McDonald's in basic training. It was a dark time, and I still live with the scars of life without styrofoam and case burgers and the good McDonald's french fries. And, you know, it wouldn't have been so bad. But I could still see the commercials for all the fast food that was out there. And it was like tempting a starving man. Which brings me to this week's topic. Fast food advertisements. One fast food franchise in particular. You know why I love hot and juicy hamburgers? Because I've had so many that weren't. We make them as juicy as we can. If they trickle down your chin a little... We're sorry. Are they sure they're talking about hamburgers in that commercial? It sounds dirty, but it's not. In the beginning, there was, of course, the clown. But soon came the king. And after that came the redhead, completing the holy burger trinity. According to Wendy's.com, quote, consumed by his love of hamburgers, Dave Thomas visited every hamburger stand he could find. When a friend mentioned that it was hard to get a good lunch in downtown Columbus, Dave saw an opportunity. On November 15, 1969, Dave Thomas opened the first Wendy's Old Fashioned Hamburgers restaurant in Columbus, Ohio. His boyhood dream was coming true. After trying all five of his children's names for the restaurant, Dave decided on his daughter Melinda's nickname, Wendy. This nickname stemmed from the fact that her siblings could not pronounce her name, so they started calling her Winda, which then turned into Wendy. Unquote. Wendy's was the first franchise to make a drive-through versus a drive-in truly practical. Singer Burger Joints had toyed with the idea, but Dave's innovations was instead of pulling up to the window and ordering and then waiting for your food, causing things to back up, you would pull up to a menu board and a speaker where you ordered your food, then pulled forward, paid for your order, and then picked it up. And this is how it's done everywhere now. Back in 1970, it was a big deal. Really? Why? I guess it was the speaker thing. I mean, it was a novelty. According to what I read, people actually had to be taught how to use the damn thing. It didn't seem that complicated to me. 
However, this was enough to launch the chain as a franchise. More from Wendy's.com, quote, People loved Wendy's, and Dave quickly opened up more locations with the help of people who, like himself, had a passion for quality. In 1973, Dave began to franchise the Wendy's concept. His idea of selling franchises for entire cities and regions, rather than single units, was an industry innovation and enabled Wendy's to open more than 1,000 restaurants in the company's first 100 months. Under Dave's leadership, Wendy's led the industry in product innovations. In 1979, the company was the first national chain to introduce salad bars. And in 1983, Wendy's added baked potatoes to the menu, unquote. Wendy's was kind of an odd duck in the fast food world in those early days. For one thing, the burgers... Burger Square! Yeah, how crazy is that? Instead of a round patty, the Wendy's patties were, uh... Square. Why were they square, I hear you asking? They were square because everyone else's burgers were round. That actually makes sense. Dave Thomas wanted them to be different, and since there are only so many ways to cook a burger, you can fry it, you can grill it, he changed the shape of a burger. Wendy's was also upscale, for lack of a better word, maybe more grown up. The big two marketed heavily to kids, the clowns and the kings. Wendy's marketed the actual food being good. Because the beef was fresh, never frozen, the burgers looked and tasted more like what you would make at home, and the veggies, whole slices instead of just shreds. A few years after going national, Wendy's added the aforementioned salad bar as an ostensibly healthier option than just eating burgers and fries. Though, in realities, Americans just ate salad with their burgers and fries. Then came the chili, which is neat, but the hard truth that Wendy's doesn't want you to know the chili is a way to save costs because the fresh beef had to be used up every day, so they put it in tomorrow's chili. And finally came the baked potato, which is actually a brilliant idea for fast food, but it's really hard to pull off since if you've ever cooked one, you know they take a minute to make. What Wendy's did to cut down the prep time was to slap them in giant commercial convection ovens and then keep them warm and ready to go. And by the 1980s, Wendy's was the number three burger franchise in the country but still couldn't seem to break out of that third-place spot. They turned their eyes to taking over the number two spot in a big way. Because you don't want to fucking take on McDonald's, you're just going to lose. So they decided to go for the king. You come at the king, you best not miss. As any capitalist knows, if you can't improve the product, you improve the advertising. So Wendy's turned to Danner Fitzgerald Sample for a new ad campaign. Enter director Joe Settlemeyer, an art director at ad giants Young and Rubicana J. Walter Thompson. Joe was the creative mind behind a lot of famous ad campaigns in the 70s and 80s, including this one. There's a Mr. Schnittler here to see you. Hold to wait 15 seconds. Can you wait 15 seconds? I'll wait 15 seconds. Congratulations on your deal in Denver, Dave. I'm putting you down to deal with Dallas. Don, is it a deal? Do we have a deal? It's a deal. I got to go. I got a call coming in. Hi, Doc. Just dealt with Don. In this fast-moving, high-pressure, get-it-done-yesterday world, aren't you glad there's one company that can keep up with it all? You got a deal? Good. I'm putting you down to deal with Dick. Dick, what's the deal with the deal? Are we dealing? We're dealing. Dave, it's a deal with Don, Doc, and Dick. Doc, it's a deal with Dave, Dick, and Dave. Don, it's a Doc with Dick, Dave, and Doug. Got to go, Dave. Disconnecting. Gotta go, Dick. Disconnecting. Gotta go, Dan. Disconnecting. Federal Express. When it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. An ad campaign which turned FedEx into a capital B brand. Settlemeyer didn't go for ads showing beautiful people, showcasing beautiful product images, according to BetterMarketing.com. Quote, Settlemeyer changed all of this and altered the appearance of how commercials looked. 
Instead of using perfect-looking actors, he cast regular-looking pe people, sometimes not attractive people. Again, this doesn't seem like a big deal today, but this was groundbreaking in the 70s into the 80s. He also gave commercials a looser feel instead of making them look like glossy movie-like productions. He wanted to make commercials fun and engaging as opposed to looking like every other ad you've ever seen. His commercial would include things like people making strange expressions, sped up and slowed down movements, and exaggerated loping walks. Settlemeyer said that a commercial is something you watch when you sit down to watch something else. You should at least be entertained, unquote. In late 1983, the marketing team went into their pitch with a pretty basic idea. Wendy's wanted to show how their burgers were bigger than the kings and the clowns. To do this, they would demonstrate a true fact about burgers at the time. There were a lot of bun and very little beef. The ad went through a couple of iterations. A young couple stared at a big-ass bun. Then three old men stared at a big-ass bun. And then finally three old ladies staring down at a big-ass bun. The team went with the little old ladies because little old ladies are objectively funnier than little old men. It is known. It is known. The little old ladies were standing in the starkly lit space with a comically large hamburger bun on a table before them, each examining and commenting on the prodigious amount of bun before them. Then the last old lady lifted up the bun and commented on the tiny amount of meat in the middle. Just like your girlfriend. And then demand, Hey, where's the beef? Just like your girlfriend. Oh, very funny, Gavin. Very funny. The premise was funny enough, but the casting of the beef-demanding little old lady was purely sublime. If there is such a thing as the platonic ideal of a little old lady, it would be Clara Peller. Peller was born in Tsarist Russia in 1902, and her family immigrated to the U United States, eventually winding up in Chicago. She married, had children, worked as a manicurist for decades. Now, you're probably wondering how a tiny Russian manicurist gets cast in commercials. So I assume it was a casting couch situation. I mean, I don't know for sure, but probably not. You see, she was hired as a temp manicurist on a commercial shoot when she was 80 years old. That's where she met Settlemeyer. According to the Chicago Tribune, quote, Mrs. Peller, a widow, lived alone for many years in furnished rooms at the Belmont Hotel and spent much of her time drinking coffee with friends at McDonald's on Rush Street. Whenever commercial director Joe Settlemeyer of Settlemeyer Film Production Company, for whom she worked, needed an elderly woman to cast as a cleaning woman, for example, he would send a staff member over to McDonald's to pick her up. Her first encounter with Settlemeyer came, from, came when he was filming a commercial that required showing the hands of a manicurist at work. He subsequently used her in commercials for Mr. Coffee, in which she blew a trumpet, and for Jartran Trucks. Most of the commercial spots she did were for smaller companies and regional markets, unquote. Her big breakout was as a cleaning lady in a spot for the new Massachusetts State Lottery game called Megabucks. Who called this meeting? Uh, oh, me. I, I, I don't know. I did. She did. She did? She did. I did. Have you all heard of Megabucks? Megabucks. Megabucks. Oh, Megabucks. Megabucks. Oh, Megabucks. In the lottery's Megabucks game, the jackpot grows every week until someone wins. Gentlemen, I've enjoyed working for all of you. And I'm sure you'll all enjoy working for me. Megabucks, the game the dreams are made of. So when Settlemeyer began filming the Wendy spot, he turned to his platonic little old lady and cast Peller. Clara Peller, who had emphysema and was hard of hearing, she couldn't do long dialogues and literally had a set assistant out of, out of the shot tug her skirt to let give her line cues, was paid a daily wage scale for actors 
$317.40 per day for the commercials. After they began airing in January of 1984, the spot became instantly iconic. I'll get to that part in a minute. The campaign was a huge hit and went on to feature Clara in two more film commercials. The first was Peller driving wildly around with the two other little old ladies sliding across the back seat, and she would pull into drive throughs and demand the location of the beef. When you drive to Wendy's and order a single, you get more beef than the Whopper or the Big Mac. At Wendy's, you never have to ask, where's the beef? And the third found the little old ladies back with a bun on the phone, trying to find someone, anyone, who can explain, you know, where the beef might be. Until finally they are forwarded to the big boss of the burger chain on his yacht, the SS Big Bun. Yes, we know it's a big fluffy Talk bun. Talk to the manager. It is the manager. Where's the beef? He's putting us under the supervisor. If you ask me what you did, we should call the owner. At Wendy's, the hamburger we modestly call a single has more beef than the Big Mac or Whopper. We've got the owner. Hello? Where's the beef? Wendy's kind of people never ask, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody there. I really don't. As a commercial, they very much had their intended effect. Again, quoting from Banner Marketing, quote, This paid off big time for Wendy's, as every Wendy's restaurant generated at least 10% more sales in 1984 than they did in 1983. Overall sales jumped by 31% to $945 million worldwide by 1985, unquote. What was not expected was the cultural impact of the commercial. Slogans, jingles, and commercials have a long history of becoming pop culture moments, entering the lexicon of daily references and establishing themselves as a kind of in-joke to their audiences. But very few commercials manage to transcend their brand-based origin and become... Big fucking thing. The 80s were famous for this happening, and Where's the Beef kicked it off. Before long, Clara Peller's face was everywhere. And Americans from coast to coast were demanding from one another that they could kindly explain the geographic position of cow parts. It's really hard to find different ways to say where's the beef. You could buy Clara Peller hats, Clara Peller mask, Clara Peller buttons, Clara Peller t-shirts, Clara Peller records. I want to remember there being a Clara Peller doll, but I can't find any evidence of this actually being true. Peller appeared everywhere. Wikipedia sums up just some of her experiences. Quote, Peller continued to make the most of her new sound fame, granting numerous press interviews and making several guest TV appearances. She regularly amused interviewers and friends by claiming not to know how exactly how old she was, once telling a frustrated Social Security clerk who was given three different changes by Peller that she was whichever one will get me Social Security on April 14th, 1984. Peller made an uncredited cameo appearance on Saturday Night Live, which was hosted that night by 1972 Democratic presidential candidate George McGovern. Surprising number of McGovern references in this week's show. She uh, also made an appearance in the low-budget 1985 Neil Israel comedy Moving Violations. 
in Larry Cohen's The Stuff and appeared with Abe Vigoda in a commercial. In the Remote Control Man episode of the Steven Spielberg show Amazing Stories, she had a cameo as a disgruntled motorist. On April 7, 1986, she made an appearance at WrestleMania 2 at Chicago's Rosemont Horizon, where she was the guest timekeeper for the 20-man invitational over-the-top battle royale, involving both wrestlers and NFL players in the 1970s and 1980s, unquote. And now allow me to introduce to you the officials for the battle royal. First, the timekeeper, a lady who has indeed found the beef, Claire Peller. It was, as I have previously mentioned, the 1980s. The culmination of the where's the beef moment came during the Democratic presidential primary between Walter Mondale and Gary Hart. Gary Hart, that was the guy that knew where his beef was. Sadly for Gary, it wasn't in his wife, but allegedly in a woman named Donna Rice on a boat called the monkey business. But the beef moment came before the monkey moment. Someday, I will do a full show about sex scandals of the 80s, but today is not that day. Again, from Better Marketing, quote, Where's the beef then crept its way to the 1984 presidential election? During the primaries of the spring of 1984, Democratic candidate and former Vice President Walter Mondale used the phrase against opponent Gary Hart. Mondale stated that the program policy put forward by Hart were lacking in substance. This was at the height of the popularity of the commercial and was a great way to tap into the public consciousness by using a topical phrase that was also a cutting jab. This all happened during a televised debate just before the New York and Pennsylvania primaries. Hart was being seen as a similar mold to John F. Kennedy, especially in appearance. His platform was based on the concept of new ideas. Hart had gone from dark horse to more of a threat and kept pushing the new ideas viewpoint with all of his debates. Mondale seemed like he was waiting for this, and after Hart repeated it during the debate, Mondale leaned over and said, When I hear your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad. Where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> Hart would eventually have to physically show his policy papers, not his beef, and tell Mondale, here's the beef. Mondale kept pushing about where's the beef and Hart's policies and the public started seeing them the same way. It ended up casting doubt on Hart's new ideas and helped Mondale win the Democratic nomination, unquote. He won the nomination, though, <laughs> unfortunately for Mondale, all the Clarapeller magic in the world wouldn't make a difference in the general where he received one of the worst electoral ass-whippings in history. But it must have hurt that night. What an ass-kicking that was, huh? This guy made McGovern look like William the Conqueror. <laughs> he won only his home state of Minnesota and lost every other single state in the Union to, you guessed it, Ronald Reagan. Uh, uh, he said it! He said it! As for her work with Wendy's, well, that was brief for Clara. It officially ended when she appeared in a commercial for Prego Spaghetti Sauce. I found it. Real beef. It's in there in new Prego Plus Spaghetti Sauce with beef and onions. I really found it. Prego Plus with chunks of ground sirloin beef. Lots of beef. I finally found it. It's spaghetti sauce you can really sink your fork into with that homemade Prego taste. Try all four delicious varieties, including new Prego Plus with beef. Boy, did I find it. Wendy's claimed that Prego was essentially ripping off their intellectual property despite Peller never saying the words where 
or beef. And as you just heard, the implication was clear. On Peller's side, she noted that Wendy's hadn't exactly cut her in on the largesse they were making from selling her likeness on all the hats, shirts, and buttons. Her New York Times obituary puts it this way, quote, Mrs. Peller lost her job with Wendy's in 1985 after she did a commercial for Campbell's Prego Spaghetti Soft proclaiming, I found it, I really found it. The fast food chain contended that the commercial infers that Clara found the beef somewhere else other than a Wendy's. Her fee for the second commercial, which appeared in September of 1984, was not disclosed. Wendy said she made more than $500,000 for the beef commercials, but she denied making that much. She said, I made some money, which is nice for an older person, but Wendy's made millions because of me, unquote. And look, Wendy's has a fair claim when they pointed out that the Prego ad was ripping them off, and Clara had one about them using her likeness to make tons of money and earn media without fairly compensating her. There's even a whiff that Paolo's lawyer, Joel Weissman, was being a, kind of a skis ball and, a, and abusing her for his own game. And again, it did end in one of the most absurd corporate statements ever, as quoted in the Sun Sentinel in 1985. Quote, the commercial infers that Clara found the beef at somewhere other than Wendy's restaurants. Unfortunately, Clara's, Clara's appearance in the ad makes it extremely difficult for her to serve as a credible spokesman for our products, unquote. Clara Peller died at the age of 87, August 11th, 1987, of congestive heart failure. I hear that eating too much red meat is bad for you. She was survived by a daughter, a son, and two grandchildren. It is a definite cliche to say the Clara Peller story is a uniquely American one, but... Come on. A Jewish family flees Saras, Russia, ahead of the pogroms, comes to America, becomes a regular working-class folk, raises a family, lives her life, and then at 82, people in fucking football stadiums are wearing masks with her face on it. And if there's a story more American than that, I want to hear it. Seriously, I, I want to hear it. I, I need the content. I'm no huge fan of capitalism. And it's damn sure that Wendy's made millions off Clara Peller, and Clara maybe made a few hundred grand. At the same time, though, it's hard to say that Wendy's were monsters about all this. They, they wanted a commercial that would take a bite out of the clown on the king's market share. They didn't sit out to go viral and make a meme out of Clara Peller. We didn't think about things like that in 1984. Commercials might become part of the zeitgeist, and actors certainly did, but an unknown actor in a commercial did not dream of becoming a big thing. Ad agencies hoped their slogans caught fire and drove sales. They might even dare to hope that it would become iconic, like finger licking good or it's the real thing. But I'm damn sure none of them thought, hey, this slogan's going to show up on the debate stage for a presidential election. It's just the sort of thing that didn't happen back then. Today, of course, everyone can go viral. Anyone can be a meme. Kids dream of becoming the next trend on TikTok. Influencers look business owners dead in the eye and ask for free shit because their gram is flex or whatever the fuck kids say today. You can become a Twitter main character without trying. Indeed, without wanting to. Shit. I do this podcast every week and sometimes I wonder what it would like if I suddenly went Clara Peller and became a main character. Then I think about it and realize... And about five minutes after that happened, people would start digging through every single word I've said on this podcast over the past eight years and would find something I've said. And I've said a lot of things that jokes that would not stand up to a Twitter lynch mob. Hell, be honest, Twitter would take me down for just using the word lynch mob. That's racist! Okay, yeah, I can see how that's racist in context, but I wasn't using in that context. Jeez, you are racist. See what I mean? 
See what I mean? So, yeah, I'd like more listeners, but I don't want too many people to listen. I have no desire to go viral, to be the main character, or have anyone wear a mask with my face on it at any kind of sporting event. I will say, however, Wendy's, a Dave's Double, this is a tasty burger. And the fries remain top-notch, even 40 years later. The geographic location of the aforementioned bovine byproduct is at a fucking Wendy's. That is it for the show this week. You know, for a show that doesn't like capitalism, I sure do a lot of episodes about brands, marketing, and advertising. I don't work at any of those places. In fact, I firmly believe they're the blackest evil and the most malicious fuel of the powers of the in-stage capitalism. But you know, my best friend works in the business, so I know what I'm talking about, and then I try to give him a little bit of a break. This week is just a little light fare before we dig into some dark shit next week. It's a little anniversary of a party down in Texas that went wrong. Way, way wrong. You'll just have to come back to find out how wrong it went. Speaking of fucking around and finding out, rate and review this show wherever you get your pods so other people can fuck around with listening to us and find out you make really bad podcast suggestions. If you want to kick us a dollar so we can afford some chicken tendies with our Dave's Double, hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Do everything Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he'll be forced to don a Clarapeller mask and show up, your, show up demanding to inspect your beef supply. That sounds dirty. Is it dirty? And so for me, Dave... Oh, lady walking in the midday sun. She stops for lunch in the house of buns. Blood soap. Producer. She orders a hamburger. Well, of course, they brought her some buns and a chunk of horse. You know, horses aren't actually that bad. Gavin and all of the fictional little old ladies on this show, we want to say. Where's the beef? And we'll see you all next week. Buck 99 for a whole darn meal. Oh, and she opened the buns, put on the mustard. Fries went it up, she got all fussy. She said, I've had burgers, well done and rare. But now I got one that ain't even there. She got no response from ringing the bell. And that's when she started to yell. Where's the beef? Can't you hear a call? She don't see no beef at all. Where's the beef? What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. What if it's another Waco?